Well, we are turning to the book of Colossians tonight. Colossians chapter 1, and we want to look at verses 1 through 8. Greetings and thanksgiving is what I've titled uh, the message here. And uh, love the book of Colossians. Uh, Lots of things in here. I have a friend on Facebook, and he was recounting why he keeps the Sabbath. And he was getting into it like, maybe this is even sin if we don't keep the Sabbath. And I pointed him to what book of the New Testament, do you suppose? Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Uh, you know, don't let anyone hold you bondage to this idea of you have to keep Sabbath. Anyway, we'll get there eventually, Lord willing. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll get into our study here. Lord, again, I thank you for the privilege to study with uh, your people tonight. I pray it would be a profitable time as we begin our journey through the book of Colossians. And and then, Lord, we thank you for all the workers with the youth group and Awana Ministries. Uh, Lord, uh, these are thriving ministries. We thank you for them and pray that uh, they'd be fruitful tonight, especially the ministry of the Word, building into the lives of these young people building the truth of the word as well as your love into the into their lives. And so, Lord, may it be fruitful. We commit our study to you now. Thank you for each one that's able to come out. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, the book of Colossians. And uh, you will note uh, on the overhead there the uh, supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. That's really what we have uh, in the book of Colossians in terms of the theme, the main driving theme. The author is the Apostle Paul. And we believe he wrote it probably 60 to 62 during his first Roman imprisonment. And, of course, uh, as we think about the prison epistles, as they're commonly called, uh, not Galatians. You know, we got those four that go together, right? Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. Three out of the four fit those prison epistles, right? Leave off the first one. Leave off Galatians. But then the next three... Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they all belong to the prison epistles. And then there's one more, that little letter, almost a P.S. letter. Yeah, the, the book, the little letter of Philemon. So those are the prison epistles. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the supremacy of Christ is the, is the emphasis here. It's, it's a great book exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in just about every way imaginable, as, you, as we will see as we work our way through. Uh, he is writing to correct some false teaching that has come into the church or threatening to. Uh, kind of an early form of Gnosticism. You know the Gnostics, uh, you know, we got, uh, comes from that, that Greek word uh, gnosis, which is the idea of, of secret insights. And that I have some deeper secret knowledge spiritually that others don't have and belongs to the initiates. And, and they had all kinds of ideas that they were bringing in under the, under the, under the guise of Gnosticism. And so we think that uh, that's part of it. All kinds of things involved here, probably. But uh, this was undermining the idea of, of Christ's sovereignty, his sufficiency, his supremacy, all of those ideas. Uh, if you had to mention a, a number of places you could go for key verses. But uh, here in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, speaking of Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean to you? Off, you know, we're just, we'll get to it. We're not going to dissect it tonight, but what, what's this telling us about Jesus Christ? He's what? Yeah. It's fully represented in him bodily. So we see, his, you know, his humanity bodily, right? And yet the fullness of the Godhead doesn't mean he's the full Godhead, right? 
But he represents that which is fully God, bodily, and that's what it's saying, the full essence in terms of God. Uh, and then, uh, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Complete in him. Nothing left out who is the head of all principality and power. That puts him in the supremacy position. But, but we are complete in him. Uh, all our spiritual needs are met in Jesus Christ. We don't need to look outside and say, well, you know, there's something missing in my life spiritually. No, no, you're complete in him. Uh, and if you're in Christ, you're complete. You don't have to say, well, I'm waiting to get, I'm waiting for the second blessing, as uh, some might say. No, 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 you're already complete in Jesus Christ. There's nothing left out. Uh, all the spiritual blessings in Christ, you, you have access to that now in Christ. There's no secondary uh, citizens in the kingdom uh, or in the, in the church. Ultimately, those will be in the kingdom, but those that belong as God's people. Uh, no, we all have everything. You say, well, I, I don't think I have everything. Yeah, you do. You just need to grow into the good of it. But you already have it. You're already connected to the head, and in him, you're complete. And so we will uh, see that as we go along. Key verses there, Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we have uh, the companion, the little epistle Philemon that we've already mentioned. So Colossians and Philemon uh, go together. And in fact, uh, it seems that the church at Colossae probably met in the house of Philemon, who seems like he was a pretty well-to-do fellow and had kind of a, a, a kind of a major role in relationship to the church at Colossae. We see this in chapter 4, verse 12. We see it in Philemon, the book of Philemon, verse 23 as well. Okay, well, we're going to work our way through uh, eight verses, Lord willing, tonight. Uh, why don't we have somebody read the first two verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Somebody want to, yeah, Albert? Does yours not have and the Lord Jesus Christ? It doesn't? The older manuscripts must not have that. What do you, what do you, what's your uh, translation? ESV? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, mine has and the Lord Jesus Christ there at the end of verse 2. But anyway. Uh, okay. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Introduces uh, who he is, telling us who he is right out the gate here. He says he's an apostle. Now, that is uh, no small thing. The word apostle literally means sent one. It's used in a technical sense as well as a general sense in the New Testament. Uh, sent one, you know, it kind of all has to do with who is sending the sent one. Okay, he sent, who sent him? Well, he tells us who sent him here, right? Uh, yeah, but, uh, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he's a sent one. So he, this is a technical sense. Uh, you know, sent ones uh, in a general sense would be like missionaries sent out by the church. We have this in like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where this very word is used of those that are sent out by the churches. Uh, kind of like missionaries that are sent ones. So we send them out. Uh, they're our sent ones. But when used of the apostles in the sense that he's using here, it's a, it's a technical sense. And there were some qualifications to be able to be an apostle. You notice people rise up today and say, well, I'm now an apostle. Send your money to me. <laughs> sure sign they're not an apostle. Uh, the apostles never said such things. But uh, what 
did, what kind of qualifications were there to be an apostle? I mean, it's not, you couldn't just stand up and say, hey, I think I'm going to be an apostle. By the way, note here, he says, uh, by the will of God. I mean, <clears throat> you don't self-appoint yourself as an apostle. I mean, God puts you in this position by, by the will of God. Apostles were not self-made people. And say, well, I'm volunteering. Jesus say, who wants to be an apostle? Well, me, I, I mean, no, no, it didn't work that way. G, to be an apostle, you had to be chosen by Jesus Christ personally. So you were personally chosen by Jesus Christ. You had personally seen the risen Christ. It's one of the qualifications, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You had to have seen the risen Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 1 is one of the qualifications. Uh, the apostles were uh, confirmed with special sign miracles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, you know, all of these things were involved in being an apostle of Jesus Christ. And uh, they were the authoritative spokesman for Jesus Christ. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and their close associates, the prophets, their contemporaries in the early church. Uh, the apostles had more of a universal ministry in relationship to the, the whole church, giving us the New Testament scriptures that affect the whole church. Prophets were gifted men that spoke, thus saith the Lord, in the early church before the New Testament scriptures were uh, really given to us. I mean, you showed up for church in the early days. I mean, it was just being formulated. Uh, before the apostles were off the scene, there was the gift of uh, prophecy that was still being exercised. And they gave forth New Testament truth, which the church is built on, the foundation. Now, we don't keep building the foundation uh, century after century. After the apostles and prophets gave us that New Testament revelatory foundation, they went off the scene. Now we have the ministry of the apostles and prophets today. We still have it. It's right here, right? It's in the New Testament scriptures. So I'm not looking for uh, new truth. I'm not looking for new, uh, more apostles. Uh, they, they have done their job, which was laid the foundation, the revelatory foundation that the church is built upon. So Paul says uh, he's an apostle, and he was. Uh, we read about his testimony in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. Uh, he was called very specifically by Jesus Christ. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I want to emphasize this because, uh, again, nobody is a self-anointed, a self-appointed apostle or anything else in the church, by the way. I'm always concerned when somebody's like jostling and maneuvering and forcing their way to the front to say, look at me, I'm the guy. You're probably not the guy. Uh, Self-made people are not <laughs> put there by God necessarily at all. Uh, here, Paul didn't make himself an apostle. It was by the will of God. I think the last thing on his mind as far as to, was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ he was on, on the road to Damascus, right? I mean, he wasn't thinking about that at all. So uh, it's the sovereign call of God. And, uh, you know, each one is put in the body just as God pleased, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, God places us, God gifts us, uh, he puts us just where he wants us to be. And so uh, this is the sovereign uh, working of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, uh, fellow member of the family of God, and Timothy's a close associate, uh, working closely with the apostle Paul. And then he says, uh, to the saints uh, and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Uh, to the saints. Uh, this word means set apart ones. To the saints. 
And in the New Testament, all believers are said to be saints. Uh, you're either a, a saint or you're an ain't. There, there's no in-between. And so uh, all believers are saints. But then he further qualifies it to the saints and faithful brethren. I think he's talking to the same group of people, right? He's going to say, well, I'm, I'm addressing the saints, and then there's the faithful brethren over here. No, I think he's talking uh, to the same group of people. And he further qualifies who he's talking about. Faithful brethren refers to genuine believers. And uh, all believers are faithful to some degree. Certainly in relationship to a saving faith, they've all been obedient to the faith. They've all come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then I think uh, he who has begun a good work and you will perform it. I mean, God does discipline all of his children to build holiness into their lives. It's a process. But uh, note a couple of verses here. In Romans 6.17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that's where we were, right, before salvation, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What's that form of doctrine he's talking about here? Well, he's talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe it, it delivered us. We were slaves of sin. Now we're slaves of Jesus Christ. But we obeyed from the heart. Uh, This is the obedience of faith that he begins the book talking about in uh, chapter 1. And then as we see at the end of the book of Romans as well, the obedience of faith. In contrast to that, you have the unbelievers. What what defines them? In which you once walked, not anymore, but uh, before we were saved, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This defines the unbelievers, uh, sons of disobedience. And so uh, when he says uh, to the saints and to the faithful brethren, I think he's talking about genuine believers, uh, he's describing them and uh, what characterizes them. Not perfectly. Not, none of us are. <laughs> we're all in process here. And uh, none of us have arrived yet. We won't until we get to glory. But we are in process. And uh, there is some level of, of faithfulness and obedience in the lives of uh, all those who belong to Christ. To the, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So they're in two places. Are they in Christ or are they, are they in Colossae? Yeah, yeah, they're both. <laughs> uh, one's a spiritual position, right, in Christ. One's a physical position uh, in Colossae. Uh, so in Christ refers to our spiritual position, that we are uh, now in union with Christ. We're in Christ. We're in the sphere of Christ. Uh, we're united with him. And uh, so that's the idea. Uh, and as uh, those in Christ, we, we share in his life. Uh, we are in Christ. We are united uh, with Christ. And then he says, and by the way, uh, you're either in Christ or out of, out of Christ again. There's no in between. Uh, you're either saved or you're lost. You're either in Christ or out of Christ. Uh, there's no in between. You say, well, I think I'm kind of in limbo here. No, you're not. You're out. <laughs> if you're not in, you're out. Uh, it's one or the other. But then he says, who are in Colossae. Where is Colossae today? Do we know where Colossae? Somewhere in Turkey. That's exactly right. Uh, It's in uh, the old Asia Minor in that area, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, That's right. And uh, it was a mostly Gentile town. 
And uh, it was about 11 miles from Laodicea, about 100 miles from Ephesus, where Paul spent three years in Ephesus. He never, we don't know that he ever got to Colossae, but we think his ministry uh, did get there. <clears throat> and perhaps he even sent uh, this guy that he would talk about, Epaphras, in verse 7. Perhaps he had even sent him there. So uh, we do think his, uh, his ministry, which reached all of Asia, it says, when he was in Ephesus, probably affected Colossae. Uh, we, we don't know exactly how uh, his ministry affected them, but probably it did. Um, let's see here. I'll put you a map up here to show you what we're talking about here. Here we are, Colossae. Now, where's Paul? Is he in Ephesus at this time? No, 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 no. He's over here in Rome, right? He's under house arrest. This is one of the prison epistles. <laughs> yeah, he's under house arrest in Rome. So he's a long ways from Colossae. I'm not sure how long it would take to get over here, but it would take a while. And so uh, he's got a, a man who's been kind of currying back and forth here. But uh, <clears throat> just on the map, that's where we're uh, looking at as far as Colossae. But he says to them, uh, to these saints and who he calls faithful brethren, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then, of course, if you have the inspired text, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You know, the older manuscripts evidently leave that out. I should have caught that, but I, uh, I'm doing my work for my new King James here this afternoon. Uh, <clears throat> grace to you and peace from uh, God our Father. Uh, this is a common greeting of, as Paul very characteristically introduces his letters in this way. Uh, grace to you and peace. What's special about the, this greeting here? Yeah, I agree. Yes, grace is always mentioned first. That's true. And everything flows out of grace. Grace and then peace. He doesn't always say, he doesn't ever say peace and, and grace. No, it's always grace first. So that's, that's a great point. Uh, what else here? What about this greeting that's really special? It does. Yep, I think uh, the Greek, Arane, is the equivalent to shalom, the Hebrew word for peace here. So, yeah, that, that's for sure. Uh, something else I'm looking for here. What's special about this greeting? Huh? Yes, yes. This is the really big deal in my mind. Who it's from? He didn't say from Paul. No, who's it from? Who's the greeting from? God our Father. Yeah, it's like if God sends a letter to Southview and we get the letter and we open it, I wonder what God has to say to us. Well, God is greeting us with grace and peace. Isn't that, a neat, isn't that neat? You have to realize as an apostle, he is giving forth inspired revelation from God himself, representing God himself. And so he says, grace to you and, and peace. A lot of times you say, well, well, Paul is kind of, this is a, a prayer wish. No, it's more than that. This is an actual greeting from God the Father. Uh, he is communicating his grace to them and his peace uh, to them. Uh, it's from God, our Father. Um, now, when we think about grace, we think about saving grace. This is written to the saints. They already have salvation. Uh, we think about uh, uh, 
you know, peace with God, as we find in Romans 5.1, which relates to salvation, therefore being justified by faith with peace with God. Uh, grace and peace here, I think, relates to these that are already Christians, as we saw in the previous verse. And so it relates to daily grace, uh, God's grace and God's peace that's being communicated to them. What does that mean? What do I mean when I talk about uh, God is saying, you know, he's expressing his grace and his peace to us in terms of our daily walk? What does that mean? Grace to you. As far as your daily walk. Or peace to you in terms of your daily walk. Yep. Right. Usually when we think about God's grace, we think about his enablement in terms of Christian living, his daily strengthiness, uh, grace upon grace, as he talks about in uh, John chapter 1, verse 16. So, uh, yeah. Uh, when we think about God's grace in our daily lives, I mean, I think there's so many intangibles. There's so many things that we don't even think about. We don't even realize in terms of how God's grace is supporting us and strengthening us as we go along. All the things that he's doing for us behind the scenes, we're not even aware of many of them. But we know it's the grace of God that sustains us, that keeps us going, that's protecting us. And all of these things are involved here. And then peace. Uh, peace uh, from God, our Father. You know, again, we have peace uh, with God, but then in Philippians somewhere, it talks about, I'm being funny here, because we just finished that in Philippians chapter 4, uh, the peace of God, right? Which passes, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, should keep your hearts and minds uh, in Christ Jesus. So um, I think... We need to realize, I love this because, you know, what would be the opposite of grace and peace? If you say, oh, you know, we got a different kind of God here. He's not a God who's communicating grace and peace. Uh, what would be the opposite of grace? Yeah, and I'm, I'm giving you what you deserve. And what does that mean? <laughs> grace is unmerited favor. You know, uh, I'm not getting what I deserve. Now, now... It, the opposite of that would be, you know, I would say probably wrath and condemnation. Uh, how would you like that for a degree? Wrath and condemnation to you. Uh, and, uh, and great anxiety. <laughs> no peace. I love this. Uh, you wake up in the night, you can't sleep. What is God saying to you? Well, I think he's saying the same thing to you that he says to the Colossians. Grace to you and peace. What, where's, where's this message coming from? Well, we don't have to wonder. From God our Father. You know, for years I kind of always understood this as, well, this is Paul writing. Yeah, it's Paul writing, but the message is from God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We're his children. Uh, what's the idea of him being our father? Our spiritual father. Well, let's start real basic. We're his children, Right? If, you've got, if you have God as your father, you're his child. And you have a spiritual father, right? Everybody has a spiritual father, right? What are the two choices? <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, Christ told those uh, Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Uh, so if you don't know the Lord, 
you know, you have the, the, the devil as your father. But if you're a child of God, God's your father. And what do fathers do? What's the concept of fathers? Good fathers. Protection. Provision. Care. Yeah, all of those things, that, that father figure. Now, how wonderful. Uh, and uh, he's such a good father. I mean, he's saying grace to us and peace to us. This is his disposition towards us. Okay, um, very good. Any other thoughts as we wrap up verses 1 and 2? Yes, Kurt. That's good. That's great, Kurt. Amen. Good thought. Amen. All right. Very good. Let's have somebody read uh, verses uh, 3 through 5. Who wants to read 3 through 5? Yep, John. Okay, so uh, the first thing after expressing greetings from God and, and uh, addressing, uh, introducing himself and, and addressing the saints and so forth, the first thing he says is, we give thanks to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Uh, thanks is prominent in uh, Paul's letters. He's very thankful for, for the people of God. And, uh, you know... It's sometimes kind of easy to complain about God's people. I know nobody ever does that about me, of course, but <laughs> it's easy to complain about one another. You know, we just do things that kind of bug each other, and I don't know. We just it's, it's, it's real easy to sometimes not be as thankful as we should be for one another. But Paul really emphasizes this, uh, giving thanks. Uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to be a part of the family of God and, and to thank God for each member that is a part of the family. They're precious to God. They're his blood-bought children, and, and we should be thankful for them. And so Paul says he's thanking God. We give thanks to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting that he mentions this the way he does. Uh, there's a context here in the New Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God consistently identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How often do we find this formula in the Old Testament, by the way? <clears throat> I'm just curious. I have no idea, but <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, constantly. Uh, what is the sense of that? Well, it's his covenant uh, name the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of Israel. But now as we move into the New Testament, God has revealed himself in an even greater way in conjunction with an even greater person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know who God is? Look in the Old Testament and find who God revealed himself to be in conjunction with the patriarchs. Uh, these those that God made a special covenant with, the Abrahamic covenant. Look in the New Testament and find the final and fullest revelation of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, just uh, making that notation as far as, uh, you know, a little change of gears from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which really deepens the revelation that we have uh, from God in that sense. Uh, So we give thanks uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So he's uh, thanking God for them, and he's praying always for them. The idea is he's consistently praying for them. And we all need prayer, right? We should be thanking God for one another. We should be praying for one another. You know, when I think about praying for each other and the importance of praying, I I think about this text in the Old Testament where uh, we pick it up in Exodus 17 and uh, the Jews are battling the Amalekites. So it was Moses held up his hand and that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur uh, supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I really think this is kind of an illustration of uh, prayer, you know, looking to God for help in the battle here. Well, Moses kind of needed help in the prayer life here, holding his hands up, as it were. And as long as his hands were up, they prevailed. And I love that picture just as far as prayer. I think we need to be holding each other's hands up in prayer, holding each other up in prayer. Uh, I, I don't know who this was, but i never forget this. There was somebody who was in prison uh, for their faith, and uh, they were saying how, how hard it was, but in their darkest times, they would say to themselves, someone somewhere is praying for me. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful just to know people are praying for you. I I sense the prayers of God's people uh, continually for me. All right, uh, praying always for you. Uh, So he's committed to them. He's praying for them. And then he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Uh, He's celebrating their conversion. And uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all... Notice that connection there between faith in Christ and love for all the saints. Uh, Paul connects those two ideas. And I think that's very significant because as we put our faith in Christ, it's a life-changing reality. And one of the major ways it changes our life is we now belong to a, a new family. And we now love that new family. Before we were outside looking in, now we love that family. We love the brethren. Love for all the saints. Uh, Faith works through love, as we see in Galatians 5, 6. Christ said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love. (laughs) Love for one another. Uh, John 13, right? Uh, How about this uh, clear text? Whoops. 1 John 3, 14. We know. You know what no means? It means no. No. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brother. What if you don't love the brother? Uh, he who does not love his brother abides in death. We know we pass from death to life. What's one of the key evidences of true conversion? You love the brother. You love the brother. And that's what he says here. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. And then he says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. 
Now, this is interesting here. Uh, we have this, these three kind of connected, faith, love, and hope here. And Paul likes to connect those. But here we see that hope uh, motivates faith and love. That's kind of the emphasis here. And hope is anchored in the gospel. Now, what is hope? Uh, as we think about this, uh, faith looks back to the truth of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, the gospel. Uh, then as we think about love, that relates to the present. That's the fruit of faith. What about hope? Where's hope belong here? Yeah, that's right. Future certainty. It's a certain expectation of what God has promised concerning the future. And so that's the idea here. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So hope anticipates what's reserved in heaven. And what is that? I mean, we ought to maybe think about this for a little bit. Since uh, it's such a big deal here for the Colossians, it should be for us as well. Uh, their faith and their love for the saints is motivated by their hope, which is laid up for you in heaven. Well, what, what do we have laid up in heaven? Well, what are we looking for in heaven? We always say the best is yet to be, which it is. Uh, what's going to be so great about heaven? What are we hoping for? Uh, what is the certain expectation we're expecting once we get there? That's a good point. Uh, we are waiting our glorified bodies. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven from which we're waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Yeah, just like you're saying. No more sin. When we see him, we're going to be like him. Oh, that's going to be a, that's a big part. Yeah. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. No more suffering. Wow. Bring it. Bring it. Right? Yeah, that's good stuff. We'll be present with the Lord. Yeah, that's probably the number one thing. You know, we always say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to, I'm going to look up grandma. First thing. <laughs> I think grandma's down on the list. Uh, hopefully she'll be there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think really we're, we're going to be so amazed to see Jesus. You know, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet. And the, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we, so we caught up to meet the Lord. In the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, I mean, so that, but there is that together, together with the Lord, together with all the people of God through, through uh, all eternity. All of these things await us, the hope that we have laid up in heaven. And then he says, uh, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Uh, so the hope that is rooted in the gospel, what Christ has done for us, namely our victory over sin, over death, uh, over Satan, uh, this hope motivates our faith and our love in light of eternity. And as, as we live it out, uh, it, it makes a difference in our lives. And that's what he is saying here, which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we have these three. <clears throat> this uh, triad of faith, love, and hope are all very closely connected. Paul repeatedly links them together in his teaching. Note those references. This is not a, just a one-off. He loves to link those three. Uh, we are saved by faith alone, but when faith is real, out of it flows love and hope. And going forward, hope then continues to spur on faith and love. The idea then is that Paul has heard of their ongoing faith and love, which is motivated by their hope of what lies in store for them in heaven, which all ties back to the truth of the gospel they had previously heard. 
So that, that's the essence of what we're talking about here. All right, any other thoughts? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, amen. That's a neat thought. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? Okay, let's finish out here. Uh, six through eight. Who wants to read that for us? Six through eight? Yeah, Amy? Amy? Okay, thank you. So, uh, he's continuing his thought. Uh, Paul loves run-on sentences. And since the book's inspired, who am I to argue? Uh, Which has come to you, he's talking about the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Uh, So, we have the Great Commission and the gospel is advancing. It's going forward. Uh, it has come to you and, and it's also going forth in all the world and wherever it's going, it's bringing forth fruit. Imagine that. Has there ever been a place where the gospel had no fruit? I don't think so. There's always a remnant. God always has a remnant. There's always some that come uh, to believe. You just never know. Today I, w- I was at lunch. Uh, I did a rare thing today. I almost never take my wife out for a, a noon luncheon. I did today. She was gone all morning. She came home and I said, hey, how about if we just take an hour here and have lunch? So we went down to kind of a little local place here. As, as some people were walking out, this lady comes over and she said, are you a pastor in town here? I said, yeah. And she says, I've been watching you uh, on, uh, on the internet. She says, I've been watching you a lot. I said, wow. <laughs> I said, who are you? <laughs> It was just kind of cool that she introduced me to her husband. I have no idea who this lady is. I've never married before in my life. But she kind of knew who I was. She knew who I looked. I said to my wife, i got to behave when I'm out in public. This tells me that. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, you know, the, the gospel does bear fruit. I mean, it gets out in ways that we don't even realize. And, and it continues to, to bear fruit, gospel fruit, change lives. And so he says, as it is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. They heard, they responded, and it brought forth fruit in their lives. Changed lives. When, when did this, when did this uh, change start to take effect? The day you heard it. You can say, three weeks later, it kicked in. There was, there was a little, something, little activity there. Uh, and, of course, we do start as very immature. We start as babes, and the babes, you know, mess up, and they, they're, they're immature, and all of those things, you know, we, we grow. But it changes our lives starting immediately. And uh, 
it begins to bear fruit in our lives. And I think the fruit in the Colossians' life shows that they had love in their lives. They had a living hope that changed their lives. They were living in light of eternity. As it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Wow. Uh, The grace of God in truth. The gospel is a message of grace. And it's a life-changing message. When it's received in truth. When they knew the grace of God in truth. And there's, there's the key. Um, note this uh, connection here. <clears throat> in verse uh, 5, the truth of the gospel. The word of the truth of the gospel, which they had heard. But then he talks about, uh, you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Uh, what's the difference between the truth of the gospel and the, and the grace of God? Is the gospel the gospel of grace? Yes, it is. Uh, in fact, that's what Paul calls it, uh, the grace of Christ in Galatians 1.6. So I really think uh, the truth of the gospel is really the grace of God in truth, that we have, as we have it mentioned in verse 6. All right, uh, any other thoughts before I wrap up here? Getting to that point where I'm going to move a little faster maybe, but anyway. Verse 7, uh, as you also learn from Epaphras, Uh, He was evidently a church planter at Colossae, perhaps uh, uh, sent there by Paul. We don't know how he exactly ended up there, but he seems like he was a key worker and he was representing the Apostle Paul, especially as we see in in chapter 4. But he says, as you also learn from uh, Epaphras. In other words, evidently he had shared the gospel with them. They had learned uh, the gospel from Epaphras. Our dear fellow uh, literally slave, doulos in the Greek, and uh, our dear fellow slave, Christ bought us all. We are now his. We belong to him. He's our master, uh, who is a faithful minister, a, a faithful servant of Christ on my King James, says your behalf. But again, the older translations or the older manuscripts say our, right? Is that what yours says, Albert? What do you have? Ah, New American Standard Trump's ESV there. <laughs> I don't know if I say always. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, you know, probably our, uh, on our behalf, who, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. In other words, we think he's representing the Apostle Paul. He's part of Paul's team, and he is there ministering on, on behalf of Paul. And uh, he represented him in that ministry there. Uh, Let's see here. Expositor says that there is perhaps a suggestion that Epaphras was himself a convert of Paul, perhaps during the Ephesian ministry, and that Paul had delegated him to take the gospel to the Colossians. I don't know. We're not told the details, but but that's a possibility. And then he says, uh, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So he has taken the gospel to them and then evidently has returned back to the Apostle Paul and told him, is reporting back to him in Rome, uh, what has happened and how they are now characterized by love. Uh, the word is agape, which is God's kind of love, uh, which is uh, the chief fruit of the Spirit. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, well, we kind of got introduced to the book tonight. Uh, we'll continue on there uh, next time. 
there's nothing else, okay, let's go ahead and uh, share some prayer requests here.